Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. How are we doing? Doing good? Man, there are a lot of names up there, right? We're going to be in the series a long time. No. I'm just kidding. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. If you didn't know, I, this past week I went down to Missouri, kind of a shotgun decision to help my mom move as she's leaving one house to another. So uh, we flew out Tuesday, uh, got in town um, about 11.30 and went right to work and got back uh, yesterday around 4 o'clock. So uh, we are not rested, but we are here and loving Jesus. So um and uh, just uh, so I appreciate you being here and we're going to pray and just ask the spirit of God to speak. I just believe God has a word for uh, for someone here today. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's just me. But uh, diving into the names of God, God's going to reveal himself maybe in a way to you that, that you haven't heard or known before. And I just believe that the way God wants to apply this to us today is maybe you've been struggling with something. There have been some circumstances in your life, decisions that that maybe that you've been trying to make and just things haven't been going the way that you've been praying for and asking God for. And I just believe that in the story of Abraham, as we're getting ready to get into this, the names that we're going to see today, that maybe God has an answer for you and, uh, and an encouragement for you. So, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. We know that we come in the same each week, but when you show up, God, we leave here changed. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just... Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, God. What We know that when your word is opened, it never returns void, that it never uh, loses its effect, that it will always accomplish what you set out. So, God, we ask you to breathe upon your word today. Direct my thoughts, my words, God, that may everything come from your heart. And may we be filled with your spirit today, God. Move in power today. I pray for those who are sick, God, they'd be healed. Those who are uh, in bondage, they'd be set free, God. I pray for those that are discouraged, they'd be lifted up. And those who are tired and worn and are at their last uh, edge of their rope, God, that you would strengthen their hands again to hold on tight and, uh, and to keep the faith, to stay strong. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that believes and receives all you have for us. And if you agree, all God's people said... Amen. So if you were here with us last week, you know, we were talking about Hagar and uh, Hagar was this slave girl that was given from her native land of origin to Abraham and Sarah and they moved uh, to uh, the land of Canaan and uh, she was kind of she has a slave. She was sent against her will. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had this strange idea that since they didn't have any kids that they would just make Hagar be a surrogate mother and and uh, she you know has a child for Abraham and there was all this drama but amidst all of the hardship that she went through God revealed that he was a God who sees he sees your need he sees your life your situation and he doesn't just see it he's not just a voyeur from heaven he's not a spectator he is involved he's paying attention and he cares and, and I just love how that came out this last week as we were diving into the story but Abraham's and Sarah's story isn't one where they just got the good end of a bad stick that Hagar had to hold on to. Their story was uh, filled with struggle as well. 
Matter of fact, the way they got hooked up with Hagar is they were having to travel around to avoid famine and struggle because God had called Abraham away from his home, away from his land of origin, and was taking him on a journey. Imagine if God showed up to you one day and he says, hey, I got this awesome plan for your life. There's this new place I want you to live. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I just want you to leave, and when you get there, I'll let you know you arrived. Like, can you, I mean, like, think about it, but that's what happened. God shows up to Abraham, and he's like, I want you to go, and I'm going to show you where I want you to live. It's like God GPS, like God positioning system. That's, that's what it was, you know, and, and he went out in faith. I can't imagine having faith like that. Like, I, I barely have faith to you know, drive down the street without my GPS, you know. You know, and here, here Abraham is, is doing this, but he's following God. But he's doing it in a time where the world was covered in wickedness, in darkness. Matter of fact, there, this was a time where God had just judged the earth again. If you know the story, Adam and Eve were first, and then sin entered the world. It got crazy. God sent the flood, started over with Noah and his family. And not long after that, instead of covering the earth and filling it with the glory of God, like God told Noah and his family to do again, his generations decided to stay in one location to build a tower into heaven to rebel against God and even overthrow God and set up their own gods in heaven. They didn't want to worship God. They wanted to rebel against God. And God said, mm, I don't like that idea. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to separate the nations into different tribes, different languages, and different tongues. And I'm going to do it to confuse them, to keep them from working together in evil so that the earth isn't covered uh, in, in wickedness like they intend to do. And then what he did was is he divorced mankind and he said, you want your own gods? Okay, you can have them. In Deuteronomy 32.8, this is what happened at Babel. It says, when the Most High, that's God, assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. So what God did is when he separated the tribes and the languages, he also assigned over them rulers, magistrates, and judges in the divine realm. This is, this is where the angelic realm it comes from. And Paul in the New Testament, he talks about the principalities and the powers in the unseen world. There are rulers in the unseen world. The problem with these rulers is that they didn't honor God and lead mankind into righteousness. They followed mankind into wickedness. And so they became gods rather than directing worship to God. They enslaved mankind and led them into wickedness instead of leading them into righteousness. And so God turns to those gods in Psalm 82, 6 and 7, and he pronounced his judgment against them. He says, I say you are gods, you are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. So these wicked principalities, we would, we would call them the demonic kingdom, they fell and God pronounced judgment on them as they led the nations into greater and greater corruption. So God separated the languages at Babel to slow corruption, but then the demonic realm took authority and brought it back into corruption. And this is the, the place that Abraham is called out of because his dad was a pagan. He worshipped other gods. The land was pagan. They, they were filled with child sacrifice and all manner of evil that were, these nations were known to do. And yet God sees Abraham and sees a man of faith. And he says, you know what? 
all of these gods have their own lands, their own tribes. I'm going to call someone out for myself. I'm going to choose Abraham, and I'm going to choose the, this land that I'm going to take him to be his land. And these are the conditions Abraham was born into. These are the conditions Abraham was called out of to leave his family, his heritage, their gods, their culture, his way of life. Can you imagine what Abraham is being called into? Turn your back on everything you've ever known, everyone you've ever loved, and dedicate and serve only God. That's incredible. That's incredible. When the whole world is going one way, when everyone says you should think this way, you should do this way, you should worship this way, you should accept all of this stuff, and God says, no, do this, and you say, okay, God. That's incredible that he's willing to do that. In, because of Abraham's incredible faith, God promised to bless him. God comes to Abraham, they have a conversation, and says, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have all the money you would ever want for your life. You're going to be enriched to the nth degree. And you know what Abraham says? Save it. He tells God, save it. And we find out why in Genesis 15, 2 through 4. It says, Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Can you imagine, like, turning that down? Like God says, you'll never have to worry about money the rest of your life. And he says, there's something in my heart that I want more than all the money in the world. I want a son. I want a child. And again, we discovered last week that being childless in this culture was a shame. It was a curse. They believed you were cursed by the gods to not be able to have children. And to have many children means you were richly blessed. And so Abraham has lived almost his entire life childless. And he says to God, save your blessings if you're not going to give me the one thing I want more. Because this, to me, is worth more than anything in all the world. Verse 4, the Lord responds to Abraham. He says, no, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son, a son of your own, who will be your heir. And this was God's first promise to Abraham to have a son that he would fulfill his heart's desire. And not only did he promise him to have a son, but he promised also that his descendants would rule over the land of Canaan, the land that God had chosen for his people, for himself, and that he confirmed a covenant with Abraham that his descendants would occupy this land, but not, after, not until they were slaves for 400 years. So even back in the time of Abraham, God says there's gonna be, something's going to happen to your, your, your generations, to your children. They're going to be slaves, but I will hear their cry. I will deliver them, and I will bring them into this land. But in this promise, he's promised children, and he's promised the land. Now, here's the deal. Ten years go by, and still no kids. Ten years. God says, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give you your heart's desire. But 10 years go by and still no kids. No wonder why he and Sarai got impatient and they went through the whole Hagar drama. Like, like if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch last week. You know, we'll, we'll catch you up. It's in Genesis. It's an incredible story. 
But they go through this whole drama, and I just think, can you blame them, right? He's lived his whole life. He wants this one thing. God says, I'm going to give it to you. And 10 years go by, and still no sign. I mean, we do dumber things for less. I mean, for far less. Like, we just were like, God said, I'm going to do this. And we're like, where are you, God? Well, I guess I'm going to go do this, you know. Don't, you know. But again, he's fatherless. Yet God changes his name in this moment, 10 years later, to the name Abraham. His name was Abram. Now it's Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of many. So I'm going to give you a son. 10 years, nothing. Oh, by the way, yeah, that thing I told you, I'm going to do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of many. You think he got a son? Nope. But what he did was he instituted this thing called circumcision, which I totally appreciate, as a sign of his covenant. I'm not going to give you the child yet, but I want you to give me something, Abraham. You and your whole house as a sign that you know that I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. It's called circumcision. So now they have this, this sign that, that they're going to pass on to the future generations. But time goes by and yet no son. And then one day, as you're reading in the story, the Lord appears to them one afternoon. And he has another conversation with both he and Sarai. And he says, look, your wife is going to get pregnant. She's going to become pregnant. I'm going to return in a year, another time. I'm going to return in a year, and she's going to get pregnant. You know how old Abraham was at this time? 86! 86 years old! He's been waiting a lifetime for one thing. God says, I'm going to give it to you. No, no, really. I'm going to give it to you. Do, the, do this stuff to remind yourself that I'm going to give it to you. Oh, yeah, but it's not going to happen for another year. 86 years. So some 13 years after God shows up the first time, Abraham and Sarai finally has a son. Abraham is 100 years old when his first son is born. His son Isaac. Sarah, his wife, is 90. Anybody want to start that ministry? I mean, some of y'all think, man, I'm too old for God to use me. Don't. According to Abraham, no, you ain't. <laughs> you know, and I love what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, Abraham thought he and his wife were as good as dust. That her, that her womb was as good as dust. Well, if their womb was as good as dust, I don't care what some doctors maybe said or done. God can do a lot of miracles. So don't, don't ever say God can't do something. He can but Abraham was around 76 when they got the first promise. Now he's 100 years old. Can you imagine God telling you, I'm going to fulfill your heart's desire. I'm going to fulfill this thing you've been begging for, crying for, waiting for. But then having to wait until you enter a season of life when all the cards are stacked against you. Like everything. From your physical fitness to all the cultural dynamics where everything and everyone and every sign in your life would say, this is absolutely impossible, then it happens. The God waited till that moment. My family and I, we, uh, for family movie night, we watched a show called uh, 
It was about the life of George Foreman, the boxer. And uh, it's an incredible story. If you've not seen it, I think it's on Netflix. But uh, George Foreman was, had a rough life growing up. He was uh, poor, and he found boxing and became a, one of the youngest world heavyweight champions early on. He made a bunch of bad decisions and had some crazy things happen in his life, and he lost the title to Muhammad Ali. And that kind of devastated him, rocked him. But in that moment, God called him into the ministry. He turned his back on boxing altogether. He became a pastor, opened a youth center, and just was serving the Lord, defying everybody's expectations, opinions, and, and desires. He becomes a pastor. Well, his childhood friend that was helping him as a finance consultant made some bad deals, lost all of his money. Do you guys know the George Foreman Grill? You've seen that advertised? You know why he started advertising the George Foreman Grill? He was broke. And he needed sponsorships to make some money because he couldn't pay the rent. They foreclosed on his youth center. All this stuff was shutting down. He's like, I, we got to do something. So he started leveraging his fame and doing the George Foreman Grill. And that began to bring some income. But even then, it wasn't enough to pay the bills. So he decided to do the one thing he said he would never do again. He decided to box. And so he was, I think, 50-some years old, out of shape, you know, unlikely to be a contender, and even against all odds, started boxing again and became the oldest heavyweight champion of the world for the second time in a row. It was a miracle story. God, God did that with him. But even that is nothing compared to what God did with Abraham. Nothing compared to Abraham's story. It's far more impossible. Not long after Isaac's born, Hagar and Ishmael leave the story. They leave the camp. A few years have gone by because we know at this point Isaac can walk, he can talk, he has conversation. He might have been a young man. He could have been a young child, but he could have also been a young man at this point. So God allows Abraham to enjoy his son for a period of time. God comes to Abraham again and makes one of the most unusual and painful requests. It's in Genesis 22 beginning in verse 2. Here's what God says to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. He's like saying, just in case you're getting this confused of what I'm asking you to do, I want you to take the boy you were praying for your entire life that I made you wait forever for. I want you to take him and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Say, what? I, I, I maybe had some bad pickle juice yesterday. I mean, are you really talking to me, God? Is this what you're saying to me? Can you imagine? God says, take that boy you waited decades for, the one you were too old to have, the one that you were willing to trade all the riches in the world for, this one thing, I want you to take your dream, take this thing, and you've been weeping over for years, and I want you to give that back to me. I can't imagine the gut blow. I can't imagine. God, you're, you're trying to have me choose between two things I love dearly. You and my kid. How can you even ask me that? But, you know, as you're reading the story, you know what the text reads? It reads as if Abraham didn't even hesitate on the decision. Like, like this is when it becomes like, is this even a real story? 
Because when you put yourself in the emotion of it, you're like, how in the heck does he even do this? But it reads as if he just makes preparations and starts heading toward Moriah, this place that God said to go, this place where God chose. And when they got close, he turns to his servants and he says something incredibly profound. It's in chapter 22, verses 4 and 5. And I want you to just hear what he's saying. It says, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. And what's he say? We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Well, that's not what God said. God said, two are going up, one's coming back. But that's not what Abraham's saying. He said, we will come right back. And then as he's having this conversation, his son asks a question in verse 7 and 8. says, Isaac turned to Abraham and says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Like, think about what's going through Isaac's mind. Yeah, something's not quite right here, Dad. Like, we've done this about a thousand times. I know we got the wood, we got the fire, we got the altar, we got... Where's, where's sacrifice? Where's, where's the sheep? Right? What's going on in his mind? What's Abraham say? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. And they both walked on together. We will worship. We will come back. And God will provide the sheep. Abraham had to know God was up to something. He had to know that, that, that there was something beyond the present circumstances that was happening. Even as he prepared the altar, even as the wood went on the altar, even as he bound his son, laid him on the altar, and raised the knife, he had to have something going through his mind that either God's going to stop me or he's going to raise him from the dead. Either way, my boy and I are both leaving this place alive. There's only one way this is going to end, that... There's no way that God's going to let this go the way I think it's going to go. And what happens? Well, God stops him. Did God really want him to sacrifice his son? No, he didn't. God was testing his faith. God provides a ram for the sacrifice just as Abraham said he would. And so Abraham names the place where this test of faith happens. He names this place in verse 14 as Yahweh Yireh. Or another translation would say Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. To this day, and from this moment on, all of his generations, they use this phrase, this prophetic proverb that says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So this moment was so pinnacle in this, this family, in this culture, in the, Jew, the Jewish nation, that from this moment came this phrase, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And this is where we get the name Jehovah Jireh. But it's not God that's called Jehovah Jireh. It's the mountain that's called Jehovah Jireh. I don't know if you caught that. But from this moment, from this mountain, we get the name Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide now the name of the mountain where they went is the name called moriah and moriah means the place where the lord is chosen so on the mountain of the lord the place where the lord has chosen it will be provided and so we recognize from this moment that god is our provider
provider. The Lord will provide. I just have a couple of thoughts for you if you're taking notes today. Uh, just that we can pull from the stories. Number one, the Lord will provide in the place where he has led you to go. The Lord will provide in the place he's led you to go. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So many of us get this idea that God's on the hook to just provide for us at all times at any place. That's not what it says. It says on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. If Abraham didn't go to the right place, he wouldn't have found the right sheep. He had to go where God sent him to find God's provision. See, some of us struggle with what we need because we're not where God wants us to be. We might be in the wrong vocation. We might be in the wrong relationship. We have to remember that it's on the mountain of the Lord. It's the place where God's chosen that provision comes. Number two, the Lord will always provide you what you need to do what he asks you to do. God asks us to come with what we have. And he'll provide us what we need. If he's calling you into the ministry, I, I remember early on when I was called into the ministry, I felt completely just unqualified. Still do sometimes. But early on especially, I felt completely unqualified. And so much so that I was trying to talk myself out of it every which way that I could. I was telling everybody every reason why it was the worst idea for me to, to start a church or plant a church. And I called my grandfather one day. I've, you know, I shared this story before, but it's profound in my life. I called him and I spent 20 minutes on the phone telling him every reason why me being a pastor was a bad idea. Most of you could probably repeat all those, all those reasons without even having to, to question if you've been with us long enough. But my grandfather told me one thing that totally changed my life. And again, I didn't expect this from him, his personality and, and kind of his background. But he said, Joey, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need and what you don't know, you'll learn along the way. And that was enough of a boost to my confidence to know I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have all the tools and resources. I just have to present God what I have, and he'll give me what I need. God will always provide you what you need to do what he asks you to do. Number three, sometimes God makes us wait for our dreams so we have the faith to receive them. You know, if God gave you what you asked for now and you weren't in a place to handle it well, that could be disastrous for you. And for the people around you. You know, maturity is important. In the New Testament, Paul says, you know, if you want to be an overseer in, the, in God's church, that's an honorable thing. But an overseer should not be a brand new believer. Also be filled up with pride and stumble in the snare of the devil. The, the, the enemy will take them down. So there are some things that God has for you that you're not ready for because you're not mature enough to handle it. So God makes you wait and go through a series of trials, a testing of your faith to grow you to a place where you can handle the blessing. Because maybe right now you're not strong enough and would be undone by the pressure. Number four, sometimes God gives us a glimpse of our dreams early, but then lets them be taken away before restoring them later. Kind of like George Foreman, he Wanted to be the champ, he was, and then he lost it. And then years went by, he came back, and he was champ again. Just like Abraham prayed and prayed, prayed for his son, and he got it. And then God said, give him up to me. And so he does, and what's God do? He restores his son. Why does God do that? Well, first, he wants to know that you love him more than you love what he can do for you. That you love him more than the way he can bless you. He wants to know he's first in your life. And that you'll use every blessing in your life for his purposes. Psalm 37.4 is an incredible promise, but it's also a misquoted promise. 
it says, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But most people forget the first part and just quote the second part. They say, well, God will give you the desires of your heart, which means whatever you want, that's what God's going to give you. You want a Corvette? God's going to give you a Corvette. God, you want a $6 million airplane? God's going to give you a $6 million airplane. And that's not what it says. It says what? Take delight in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, if your delight's in the Lord, then what's your heart's desire? It's the Lord. Right? So God wants to be first. He wants to be best. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be priority. And when you put him first, he'll give you the desire. See, the key to your dream, your prayer, your vision to come to pass often is surrender. It's sacrifice. When we surrender, we often see bigger and greater things than we would have ever seen before. I think God gives blessings. What he gives and what God wants to give are two different things. You see, God gave Abraham a son, but Abraham was already blessed by God. Abraham had everything he ever wanted. Abraham wanted a son, and God gave him a son. He wanted an heir. God gave him an heir. But what did God want to give him is different. Between what Abraham wanted and what God gave him and what God wanted to give him are two different things. God gave him a son, but what did God want to give him? God wanted to give him many sons. He wanted to give him many generations. God wanted to make him a great nation. And why did God want to do that? It was because he wanted to bless the nations through his children. I'm going to bless you so that the world will be blessed through you. And ultimately, God did it because Jesus is an heir of Abraham. And Jesus is our salvation. And the nations of the world have been blessed because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham's blessing was bigger and beyond even him in that moment. Did you know your blessings have to do with you, but don't always only have to do with you? Think about it. The way God blesses you has to do with you. He loves you, but they don't only have to do with you. What do you want or need most? What has God already given you? Maybe it's small right now, but in comparison to the cry of your heart, what he's given you is small, but what God wants to do with it is far bigger than where it is now. He wants to bless it. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 33, he tells us the way to find everything that we need is access God's provision. As he has already told us that those who sacrifice will receive a hundred more times in the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek the kingdom above all else, live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So if the way to access God's blessing is surrender, it's sacrifice, it's giving up, and we get rewarded in the kingdom, then the way to access that blessing that God's prepared for us is by seeking the kingdom, seeking God's will. The kingdom of God is simply his rulership over your life. That we seek his rulership, we seek his glory, we seek his will, we live righteously, we honor him with our lives, and what does Jesus say? God will provide everything you need. He'll provide the cry of your heart. He'll provide what you desperately need in the moment. The thing about the name Jireh doesn't just mean God provides. 
The name Jairah also means to experience something. To cause something to be known by someone. In, in essence, God wants you to experience or come into the full experience, the full reality of your blessing. Not just a little bit of blessing. He wants you to experience the full reality of it. So there's a difference again with what we see and what God sees. What we see is maybe the small manifestation of the way God blesses us. Maybe it's a job. Man, I've been praying for a job and God blesses you with a new job. That's a small aspect of what God has intended for you. So there's a difference with what we see and what God sees. And what God wants for you is not just what you see, but it's what he sees. And what Jehovah Jireh wants to do is bring you into the full experience of what he sees for your life. So what enables you to go from what you see to what God sees? It's surrender. It's sacrifice. It's putting God first. Not my will, but yours be done, as Jesus cried at the Garden of Gethsemane before his sacrifice. And that unlocks God's provision in your life and i just have a list of here of things that i just believe that god wants for us he's not just interested in your present need he's focused on your complete need that you'd experience his shalom peace which is his completeness and his wholeness in your life that on, the only peace that he can offer and what does that shalom include what well, includes clothes for your nakedness but also that you can clothe others Finances for your debts, but also so riches can be sown in generosity. Spiritual food for your soul, so you can build up others. Food for your body, so you have enough to share at your table. Revelation for your ignorance. Wisdom for your foolishness. Loved ones for your loneliness. And to make room for other orphans. Hope for depression. Acceptance for rejection. Love for abandonment. Sons to preserve your name. Daughters to raise your generations. Peace for your anxiety joy for your sadness, strength for your weakness, healing for your sickness, reward for your sacrifice, atonement for your sin, mercy for your judgment, and a home in heaven where you will live with God forever and ever to experience the fullness of his glory. God wants you to experience the fullness of his blessing in your life. And where are these things provided? On the mount of the Lord. Did you know that Moriah is also the same place where Solomon built the temple? It was later destroyed, but then rebuilt by Herod. But this story is a foreshadow of ultimately what Jesus would do as the Lamb of God. God provided a lamb for Abraham, but God provided a lamb for us as well. God provided a lamb for Abraham on Moriah. Well, God provided Jesus for us on Moriah, who was beaten for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Jesus is God's lamb. Jesus is God's provision. And it's through Jesus that we have access to the overflowing and abundant life. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life overflowing. So the question is, as we begin to wrap up, is God is provider, Jehovah Jireh. But can we trust God to provide? Can we trust him to fulfill his promises? That if we surrender, if we give up what we want most, that he will bless us, that he'll give us the desires of our hearts. Well, how did Abraham know? How did he know his son would be okay? How did he know that God would provide another sacrifice before he even went up to the mountain? 
I believe it's because Abraham knew that what God had promised before he was tested. We're not going to look there, but in Genesis 12, 1, God promises to give him many descendants. In Genesis 17, God has him be circumcised as evidence as God's covenantal promise and to give him the land of Canaan for his descendants. In Genesis 18.10, he promises to make him a mighty nation and promises Sarah will have a son. And in Genesis 21, God promises it will be through that son, Isaac, that his descendants would come. Abraham had all of these promises to hold on to, but more than promises, Abraham knew the character of God. Abraham knew what God was like, and Abraham had given God another name before this moment, even before his Faith was tested on Mount Moriah. It's found in Genesis 21:33. As Abraham has had this interaction with this other king, he plants a Tamarisk tree at Beersheba. He worships the Lord, and he calls him the eternal God. Somebody say the eternal God. The eternal God. Abraham calls God in the Hebrew language El Olam, the eternal God. What this means is he always was, he always is, and he always will be. He is who he is, and he will always be who he is. He does not change. And this is the testimony of Scripture all throughout the Bible. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man. He doesn't lie. He's not human, and he doesn't change his mind. How many of you get tired of people changing their mind based on the whims of how they feel? You know, I'm going to do this for you. Well, you hurt my feelings. I'm not going to do this for you anymore. You know, it's like, like, we change, we're so fickle as people, but God's not a man. He doesn't change his mind. Has he ever failed to act after he's spoken? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? The answer is no. He's Elohim, the eternal God. Malachi 3, 6. I am the Lord. I do not what? I don't change. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not like man. He doesn't say he's going to do something and then change his mind. He means what he says. If he makes a promise, he makes good on that promise. Even if he shows grace and mercy and delays a consequence for a time, the consequence will come. You see it all through Scripture. Even the pronouncement on those sons of God, those angels that made themselves kings, that turned against God, he overthrew at the cross. And he's going to send into eternal hell when Jesus comes back. God's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made. Everything he's ever spoken will come to pass just as he said. And Abraham knows God is the eternal God. His word is faithful and true. And so when God asked him to sacrifice his son, he's willingly able to do it. Why? Because the same God who gave him his son is the same God who promised to bless his son and multiply descendants through his son. And since none of that had happened yet, the circumstances might be scary, times may be rough, chaotic, confusing, he may not understand the why behind the what in that question. Everything in the world might be stacked against him, but guess what? He knows El Olam will never fail. He will never fail to act. He will never fail to see it through. El Olam, the eternal God, will provide. He'll provide what you need to do, what he's called you to do. And where he has chosen for you to do it. What trips us up 
is that he also will provide at the right time. He is ordained to do it. So what is your need today? What's the cry of your heart? What are you asking God for? Are you where God's called you to be? Are you doing what God has called you to do? If your answer to those questions is, yes, I'm doing everything I know how to do, then the answer is simply, it's just not his time yet. It's not his time yet. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around as we go into a time of response. I just feel that this is the word that we need to meditate on this morning. You see, some of us lack, not because God has failed, but because we're either not where we're supposed to be and we're not, or we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Some of you, you're doing what God wants you to do. You're just not doing it where God wants you to do it. Some of you are where he wants you to be, but you're not doing what he wants you to do. You have a divine assignment. And I just believe, based on what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, that you can't expect the blessings to flow the way you want if you're not where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will provide everything you need. Provision always comes in the place God chooses for the purpose he chooses and at the time he chooses to do it. I relate a lot with Abraham. I know that I would have wanted to see that sheep at the top of the mountain as soon as I got there. But you know when he saw the sheep? When he raised the knife. After he had made all the arrangements. He didn't see it until the very last moment. And I just believe that sometimes God makes us wait until we have fully surrendered what we want so he knows that it ultimately belongs to him. That he has our whole heart. And it's one thing to say we surrender. It's another to pick it back up with action. It's why it says we delight ourselves in Him and He'll give us the desires of our heart. So in the quietness of this moment, as you are here and you're wrestling with the Word of God and we're looking at the example of Abraham, ask yourself this question. Is your relationship with God worth the sacrifice of laying down what you really desire? Do you want what God wants for you? Or just what you want for yourself. And I think maybe we just haven't seen those breakthroughs or what we're really praying for because God's waiting on that surrendered heart. That surrendered heart that says, Not my will, but yours be done. Heavenly Father, I just pray. Spirit of God, as you are speaking in this moment, I just believe that maybe there's someone here that hasn't surrendered their life to you. They, they want to go to heaven one day. They, they want to know they're in good with you, but they just haven't surrendered. They haven't made you, Jesus, Lord and Savior. And I just pray that today that they would cry out to you and you'd say, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. Just forgive me of my sins. And be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my whole life to you. Like Abraham, call me out. Show me where you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do. 
I surrender to you no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. You're going through some chaos in your life. You're going through a time of trial, a time just where you're on your knees begging and pleading with God. And maybe you've surrendered a hundred times, but maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you and today you just need to surrender it again. You need to surrender all control. You need to surrender all consequence. You need to surrender to God's timing and trust El Olam with all of it. El Olam, the eternal God, I trust you to be Jireh. I trust you to be my provider, to bring me into the full experience of your promises and your blessings. But God, I will wait on your timing because I know you're faithful and what you want for me is greater than what I want for myself. Whatever God is speaking to in this moment, as Jim begins to lead us, I just pray that you would respond to the Lord. If you would like prayer, to pray with someone, we invite our prayer team to come forward or stand in the back and we'll have somebody available to pray with you. But for the next few moments, as Jim leads us, I just challenge you to surrender that again today. And if today you're making the decision to trust in Jesus for maybe the first time to make him Lord of your life, don't leave here without telling somebody. Let me know. We want to rejoice with you. The Bible says God will start a party in heaven for those who turn to Jesus. And we just want to celebrate that with you and encourage you and, and pray for you. And so whatever the Spirit of God is leading on your heart, you respond. Lord God, I just pray for those here. Lord, your breakthrough power be released. Spirit of God, pray that you do your work. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand for a minute as Jim leads us. If you would like prayer, I'll be down front. Prayer team, if you want to stand in the back. And just respond as the Lord is leading you. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless